Good morning. It's a privilege to be here and welcome everyone. Welcome to the visitors. The message that I'm planning to preach today is not the one that you may have been anticipating. Uh, I was planning to preach about dress. Some people like to say he's going to preach about modesty, but I was actually, uh, I like to call it the way we dress. However, my wife is not here this morning, and I would like for her to be here when I preach about that message, and she would have liked to have been here. So I decided to look at preaching about something else. Sometimes that works out well, sometimes it doesn't. But I feel that there was, uh, I had a heart to preach on something, and I started out studying, and, and this is uh, the culmination of what you'll hear today is, is uh, what I just, I, I guess I feel that God, that God led me here. It's a different message. It's. It may not seem that starting out that it's filled with hope, but my heart is is that it is filled with hope. You know I love hope. I think all of us do. But hope is something that has has taken uh, somewhat of a a residence in my messages because it has changed my life. The title today is one that my wife is actually the, the author of this title. She said, Marv, I've got a great title for a book that I'll probably never write, but it would be a great title. So this was the title, and I had, as I was studying for this message, I thought that title would fit this message. So I stole it with her blessing. So here's the title. The Dilemma of Being Human, and The Joy of Breaking Free. How's that for a title? The Dilemma of Being Human, and The Joy of Breaking Free. Being human, it is a dilemma, right? I expect that you'll be able to identify with many things that I'll be saying today. But we're going to be looking, at first, at the very human part, the very natural part of being who we are. I'm going to be reading out of Ecclesiastes, so that may answer a lot of your questions. At some point, we want to read out of Ecclesiastes. But it, we, we want to be more than we are. Is that right? Can you identify with that? We want to be more than we are. Is it safe to say that we were created for more. I think at this point is where I want to go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes and read a portion. Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to be reading this 
biggest section out of chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the NLT. Solomon, I believe, would have agreed with me that being human is a dilemma. Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived. That's his reputation. We know the story. He asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom that, from what we know, was more than any man had before him or any man had after him. But Solomon still had a choice. And so he decided to use his wisdom to find meaning, to find true happiness under the sun. All of us humans live under the sun. And so we can identify with a lot of what Solomon says. So just listen as I read. Let it build for the message that's to come. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. I, I get a glimpse of his mind here. He decided to actually drink wine to find happiness, but not in the way that a lot of us do, I don't think, or a lot of us humans would tend to go that way to try to find a way to survive in this world. He was looking for something. He went there actually with a purpose. It says, while still seeking wisdom, he clutched at foolishness. I love that term. In this way... I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. I like this term he uses over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, like chasing the wind. To Solomon, there was nothing so useless as trying to chase after wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I the king? I thought, this was his conclusion, wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. 
Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is also meaningless. For the wise and the fool both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. The dilemma of being human. We want to be more than we are. Humans, and what I'm reading here, I, I wrote down, these are my thoughts, but I took the route, the mindset, that I could imagine maybe Solomon had. Humans were born, created in honor of their maker. The first humans were told to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth, made in the image of their creator. But too often humans instead try to subdue each other. Control, I believe, is a basic human tendency included in our dilemma. We try to control each other rather than use the gifts God gave us to build, to multiply, to do good. Humans were created to praise. Instead, often, we fear. We naturally allow our perspective to be consumed with our environment. Our feelings have amazing power to control and dictate our actions. Us humans, we are selfish and sinful by nature. Our bend is to be disobedient. Worldly-minded and humanistic. We try to make right decisions, but we are lovers of pleasure and go to great lengths to experience happiness, satisfaction, and comfort. We build houses and gather possessions and chase money, dreaming of having much goods laid up for many years eating, drinking, and being merry. In reality, we live often with pain, physical, mental, emotional, and financial. We love mirrors, and we hate mirrors. Both are born of pride. Us humans, we tend to waffle between loving ourselves or loathing who we've become. We search for answers meaning and wisdom, often in wrong places. We long to understand the deep things of life, but often clutch at foolishness. Where we tend to go for help often compounds the problem. We are broken, carnal, sinful, aging. Our bodies, our world, everything around us has an end. Everything alive is dying. Everything new at once begins to get old. We are here living, searching, longing, but in reality, we're simply waiting to die. This is the dilemma of being human. Vanity and vexation of spirit. These are the words of Solomon that he used to describe the cycle of life toward death, meaningless. Ecclesiastes, in the first chapter, 
several verses, he says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. The conclusion of the whole matter is this. And again, these are my thoughts. To find true happiness, fulfillment, purpose, life without death, we must, to find hope, look beyond this world. The world, I'm sorry, the word that changes everything is this. The word that takes everything that seems so meaningless and gives it a new meaning is, is this word, eternal. Solomon found no meaning in this world of sorrow and woe. He even had a heart to warn the youth. Young people, these are his words, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. These are the words of Solomon. Think of this, eternity. This is the only thing that gives this life any meaning at all. We are human and we die. The fact that within our dying bodies lives an eternal spirit changes everything. It gives profound meaning and direction for how we ought to live our earthly lives. But often we are confused and wonder what is really right. Why? Because we are human. We're in a dilemma. Our bodies and minds have an end and we are sinners. It's in our nature to self-indulge and self-destruct and blame others for the carnage. Or to take the hurts others have caused, internalize them, not give them up. I want to ask you, what are you doing? What are you searching for? Us and Solomon, is our search not the same? What exactly was Solomon searching for? That's an interesting question to ask. What exactly was he searching for? Was it not for hope? Was it not for something greater than death? Something outside the bounds of our dilemma? It is suggested in Scripture that we consider some things to gain perspective. Luke 12, 24 says to consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? What do we see when we consider the ravens? We see that life is more than food, and our bodies are more for more than clothing. There's more to life than comfort, provision, or appearance. If God cares for ravens, know this. A raven is incomparable to you, his child. The crown of his creation and the joy of his heart.
We're told to consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. What do we see when we consider the lilies? We see that true life is not about time or prominence. We see that the lily is simply a recipient of God's favor. God clothes lilies in an array more spectacular than even Solomon in all his glory to show us how much he cares for us. This sight, this consideration should grow our faith. And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It spells it out in Romans 14. It's righteousness, his righteousness. It's peace, his peace. It's joy, his joy. That's realized by his spirit. Seek ye righteousness, peace, and joy, and all these things will be added unto you. Here Christ is revealing a mystery, a truth, that Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, could not fully comprehend. But he did give a profound thought that, to me, revealed his incredible insight as he lived nearly a thousand years before Christ came and revealed the mystery. Solomon said this, he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What a profound statement. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. From our position in time, we can see as clearly as anyone ever has the indispensable necessity of living by faith and not by sight. Yet many of us still struggle mightily when we feel a loss of control. In fact, you may be controlling, I may be controlling, manipulative and angry and not realize it if we're trying to justify ourselves. Today is a, a day that I encourage you to look at your life, take inventory. To live by faith, what does that mean? Is it not to trust God? To live by faith is to trust God. Preferably, I say that, with every circumstance. We say we trust God. Are we trusting Him with everything, really everything, in our lives that we're struggling with?
This is from my heart to yours. You cannot continuously cast blame from the corner of self-justice and have faith. Faith is trusting God with the faults of others and resting only in his justice. There are accusations and blame being cast back and forth. Thank you, Ross. Right here in our brotherhood. That's not the path of faith. Perhaps it seems like I'm talking straight to you. Well, I might be. But I'm also talking to me. And I'm talking to them over there. And them over there. And him and her. I'm talking to us. I want you to consider the true freedom that comes from not owing the king. I want to explain. I want you to have this freedom. There's a story in the Bible of a chain. I call it a chain of debt. It's about a servant that owed his king a large sum of money. However, a fellow servant owed him a sum of money as well. When the king demanded his money from him, the first servant was un unable to pay and begged for mercy. The king had compassion on him and forgave him the debt. He no longer owed the king anything. As the story goes, the forgiven servant rather then joy in his great freedom, he went out and found his fellow servant that owed him and forced the fellow servant to pay him the debt he owed. This was a selfish and needless act. Why did the forgiven servant need to be paid now that he owed nothing? And that's how it is with you. You are forgiven of the king. You owe nothing. Since you owe nothing, why do you require your fellow servant to pay what you feel he owes? Since you owe nothing to your king, you can free all debtors. It is no longer necessary or beneficial for you to demand payment. You don't need it. You no longer have to blame anyone or justify yourself. The king has promised to provide for all your needs. Do you trust him? Can you turn your eyes from what is human to what is not? No blame. This is the joy of breaking free from your dilemma. This is something that is very real in my life. It transformed our marriage. The realization that Christ died to take all blame. My blame, the blame of my wife, the blame of my brother. He took it all. When Christ died on the cross, he died to free you of your debt. He also died for your brother to forgive him of his debt.
and he died for your sister to forgive her debt. He took all the blame. He paid for everyone's debt. And think of this. With his great power that raised him from the dead, he works all things together for good to those who love him. Do you believe that? Then free your brother from his debt. That's the only way you can remain free of yours. And truly, owing the king is much greater than what any servant could owe you. Live by faith. Let's break free of blaming and start believing. So help us, God. God bless you for listening. Thank you for those of you that heard my heart this morning. God bless you.